Hello and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is on Black Panda, Wakanda Forever. Joining me to talk about this one, the world's biggest Samson fan, it's Daniel Lima. Daniel, how's it going? Hey, what's going on? You did say Black Panda, just so you know. I said Black Panda? You yeah, said you Black did. Panda. You said Black Panda. <laughs> I'm not cutting that out. Normally, I shut it down. I'm, I'm not doing that. Uh, Black Panda. <laughs> Who knows? I want to see better, that. Maybe that would have been a better movie. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Yet Daniel Lima here and also Mo Adewumi. Mo, thanks for being here. Good to be here, guys. Oh, God. It's been a long day. Uh, Black Panther, uh, Wakanda Forever is obviously the sequel to 2018's Black Panther that, you know, uh, was fairly groundbreaking for the superhero genre, a movie that got nominated for several Oscars, including Best Picture and won some, including, I believe, uh, score, costume design, production design. So uh, honestly, very highly heralded. And this movie uh, was obviously on everyone's radar for quite some time because it was pretty close to being set to go into production when uh, Chadwick Boseman, who played T'Challa in the first movie, passed away suddenly from uh, colon cancer in August 2020. So this movie had to redo itself on the fly. So I don't think anyone really knew going in how this movie was going to address that. The movie confronts it head on and the character is obviously dealing with the loss of T'Challa, who they actually you know killed off in the university this movie but then there are other kind of concerns that come to the forefront as that movie ended and uh the rest of the world is ready for wakanda to take a bigger bigger stage and you know share their share their wealth and their resources and we come to see maybe they're not quite doing that but other countries are certainly digging around for vibranium which also you know attracts the attention of uh, which which attracts the attention of Namor, who is a villain that a lot of people know really well from the comics, but had never really uh, been in the MCU before. And he was the leader of the nation of Talokan, which, you know, was an underwater nation uh, off the coast of Mexico. And he's uh, kind of on the Wakandan's trail for kind of tipping off the rest of the world to vibranium and wants to just, uh, you know, kill everyone else in the world so they can't have any of it. So movie has a lot going on on top of, you know, Wakanda learning how it's going to fill the void left by their departed king. Uh, guys, I wanted to uh, start by asking you a little bit about the first movie because I it's one that I ne- haven't necessarily talked with either of you at length about before, though I know your general feelings on them. I joked at the beginning that Daniel was the wor- world's biggest Samson fan because he thought that Samson was the best superhero movie of 2018, notably. Uh, and uh, and and Mo, I talked about a little bit, who like kind of liked Black Panther in spite of maybe having some concerns about the movie's politics, which I thought were interesting takes and from a different perspective than I had, who just unabashedly loved Black Panther, but uh, basically uh, never, I can't really say I've talked a lot in depth about it since I did my podcast on it over four years ago with my friend Anthony, who also really kind of loved it without too many reservations also. Uh, Mo, I'm wondering like, kind of what your feelings were going into this movie based on how you felt about the first one. And if you can give a little bit of insight, we don't really need to spend all day comparing the two movies because they obviously had very different tasks at hand. But what were your kind of feelings on how much you liked the original Black Panther and kind of what were your concerns about its politics that you were kind of attentive to heading into this one and curious to see like how this one kind of handled itself as far thematically and what it wanted to address uh, politically? The funny thing uh, about that was I, I think my, what I said about the politics of the original Black Panther movie was that it was bad, but I really enjoyed the movie anyway. And like I enjoyed it in in spite of the messaging behind what they were basically saying, which was I I know they weren't explicitly trying to say this, but it was trying to suggest that like Pan Africanism is bad and it can be 
and it is uh, wheel because it's wielded from the villain's perspective. And not necessarily that Pan-Africanism is bad, but like, you know, too much anger towards uh, the injustices suffered by Black people can lead you towards this like extremist path and you're going to turn into a bad guy and all this other stuff. And the CIA agent is the one that ends up saving Wakanda and saving the rest <laughs> of the world. And so like, you know, those messagings were something that I picked up on, but it was something that I found funny because I really enjoyed the rest of the movie. I really actually like had a very positive experience with all the characters and all the actors and the storyline itself. So it was something that that was actually my point was when people started talking about the trailers, right? And the fact that the trailers don't really, you know, T'Challa is not in it. And without T'Challa, you're not going to see like a lot of like big black male leads like you saw in the first movie. So a lot of like, you know, it was yeah, like- a, and, 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 Wakab, and Wakabi, Daniel Kaluuya's character was not present in this either. So it's really just ex- M'Baku, Winston Duke's character. And that's about it, you know? And that's about it. And so like, it was an insular conversation about like, oh, they've erased black men from this movie, da, 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 the messaging, the messaging. And I was like, bro, if you love Black Panther, you loved really bad messaging anyway. So like, it's not really- <laughs> No, yeah, no. Deal, and I want, like... I, I want to point out here, first for the sake of posterity, that I was on this train before Mo was. I was there, <laughs> ground level going like, oh, this is an explicitly anti-revolutionary movie. Like, you know, at the end of the yes. movie, at the end of the movie, T'Challa says, oh, uh, Killmonger was right. We need to do more to protect the Black people of the world. And my solution is me neoliberalism we're gonna open up we're gonna open up some community centers we're gonna do some mean testing to see when we can give our technology to the it is the goofiest shit that i've ever seen in my life i was like and and this is the movie that you're trying to sell us as like i went to that movie i was wearing like a black power fist around my around my neck and i was like staring at it like what the fuck is this so so, so, mo did you let me ask you then more specifically in relation to those movies then so i get that you don't like exactly where that movie ended up going but in a vacuum did you like killmonger as a villain and oh yeah then, definitely and, and then did you and then and then thus because i think the biggest thing people are talking about with this one even with all of the other stuff that you know this movie had to deal with with like who was going to wear the black panther suit how are how is wakanda going to replace him i think more people are just talking about namor and i'm wondering uh how you felt about in light of like how you kind of felt about uh killmonger in the first one if you thought that namor was like compelling and had any kind of similar points because even if you don't like what they what black panther kind of presents as the solution at the end i think a lot of people can agree killmonger was very compelling and he was even if like maybe the our protagonist in that movie didn't necessarily take exactly the kind of uh lessons maybe we would have wanted them to from killmonger he was still kind of a villain with the point of point which is the most the best kind normally and wakanda forever kind of presents namor in the same fashion yeah, so I, I I see what Wakanda Forever was trying to do. And, you know, uh, just as a side note, again, love the love the actors, love the performances in the first Black Panther movie. I, you know, I I like the characters themselves, not necessarily like and even the narrative, like I was cool with it, but like not necessarily like the uh, the messaging or whatever. Should say Namor and is so, played by uh, Tinoch Mejia. I'm sorry if I messed that up, but he's he's a Mexican actor and um, we're definitely very charismatic. I'll say that. Yeah, no, he was charismatic. I will say that, you know, being somebody who's very much interested in like the plot and the writing of a lot of these movies, even, even the more like 
uh, junk food kind of movies. I feel like it wasn't fully fleshed out this time. And that that was my general feeling about the whole movie. And Lima and I had discussed this privately about like, you know, all the production issues that went into it. So, um, you know, I'm not surprised that the movie kind of struggled to create as compelling a narrative and as uh, and as like, you know, you know, gripping characters and stuff like that. But I really felt like this time they just sort of missed the mark on a lot of things, if not most of the things that the first movie got right. Hmm. Interesting. Daniel, I, before I give my overall thoughts, I want to know, and I know we could, we, we could be here for three straight hours if I just asked you to explain why didn't you like this movie? So Because I know not much of it worked for you at all. So I'm just going to ask you, like, was there like one biggest mistake, you, one biggest misstep that you think this movie made above, above all else that you would start with if you were trying to get someone, if someone was trying to explain, like, what were the biggest reasons this went wrong? I think the big question that you should ask when asking yourself what went wrong with Black Panther Wakanda Forever is why does this movie exist in the first place? Is that is that a way of saying like maybe they should just shouldn't have done it after Chadwick Boseman died? They just didn't have a good enough story to tell at that point? Well, yes, although I would I think that question begs to be asked, even if the man was still alive. So here's the thing. So, you know, of course, they were going to make a sequel to this movie. The first one made a billion dollars, of course, and it was a cultural event. They're going to make a sequel. Right. But then their star dies. Right. Then there's a global pandemic. Then their new star sides with the global pandemic. And, you know, they're, they're, there's <laughs> I, I had that these, as a bullet point on my I had that. We're going to come back to that point. But yes, yeah, go there's ahead. all these production issues going into this movie. And. I think that really does come through in its execution. This is one of the most shoddily made studio pictures that I have ever borne witness to. It's one of the most shoddily made movies that I've ever seen. And I have seen some terribly made amateurish productions. This is just on a very fundamental filmmaking level in terms of just continuity, editing, like the the cinematography, the bare building blocks of how to create a film this movie is suffering and in a way that like even productions that I've hated more this year don't really have these sorts of issues. And of course we know why, because of all the issues that went into its production, but guess what? This movie had to get made anyways, because it's, you know, you need to set up black Panther two because we're setting up the Ironheart TV show and she's going to be in the Avengers and also this Thunderbolts movie. You can't forget that. And the stockholders are going to get a little worried if we don't have this movie out, if we don't have the product out, this is a movie that exists as pure corporate product in a way that is so much more obvious than any. And of course, these are all franchise movies. These are all IP made to sell toys and create a brand. I understand that. It's so naked in Black Panther Wakanda Forever that it undermines any of the actual emotion, ambition to create something meaningful, uh, whether it be the exploration of these two cultures that have been untouched by colonization, whether it be exploring uh, the grief of losing a loved one. These real tangible things are crushed by the weight of the expectations of the market. It is a deplorably cynical movie. It is 
probably the last Marvel movie that I willingly go to see. Maybe uh, unless you're gonna you know, see all of them. This is shit on them. Don't don't you don't need to go that far. Uh, you know, don't even. You see, you, you see, you see even. everything. You say that now, but you're gonna want to see something. The next one, just to shit on it. I, I know you. Nah, I know you. <laughs> like uh, no, on, on this one, I might be out. Like I might be tapped out on this. Okay, like, so I, I, I you, you said a lot of things there, and I'll say I think they're all really valid points. Though I think I was able to enjoy parts of this movie uh, more than you are, even if like I have. Uh, you know, I'm, 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 I can't say on the whole, I wasn't a little disappointed given how much I liked the first one. Um, and I think a lot of those things are kind of what maybe drags it down. And, uh, but both like the, trying to, uh, do the backdoor pilot for Ironheart, nothing against that actress or that character, but like, I, you know, why, why, why can't you just bring that thing in on its own? Why do you have to saddle this movie with that when you already like, like, I think the, the, the Miss Marvel, uh, TV show is fairly well received and like, we, no one had any pre existing relationship with that girl. You know, and that was like a total unknown actress and a character that people probably knew just as little about, didn't know that much about your average film goer, knew as little about her as they knew about Riri Williams. Like you could have just given her that show and just trusted that people are going to just press the button on Disney Plus just because it's there. Like I, you didn't need this movie for her. So you have that. There should not have been any white people in this movie besides the one that Namor kills on that ship. Uh, you know, they like, I, I think, I think that's, I mean, I think that's fine to like kind of set up what his motivations are. Like, I mean, but the fact is, when you take all the time that you sent with Riri Williams, which I'm a little conflicted about because I thought um, Shuri and Okoye on the campus of MIT was actually just like a funny visual gag. And I kind of got a kick out of that in in a vacuum. Uh, but like you really didn't need her in this movie. You didn't really need uh, Martin Freeman's uh, already forgetting that guy's name off the top of my head. Everett Ross. Ross. Yeah, you, you, you didn't you did not need Everett Ross and you did not need Valentina and their whole and, and their whole thing like they, they added nothing to the movie. And I thought that this movie really lacked. In certain parts, like, I mean, I'm not uh, in a vacuum. I mean, yeah, a lot of these movies are too long, but like there's a version of this movie that's two hours and 40 minutes where it's just fine and it's time better spent. But like you have all the time with the, those white people, you have all the time with like Riri Williams. And it's like a couple things this movie could have used a little more of was uh, one, like I, I, I felt like they want to. And this goes to you talking about it being shoddily made, Daniel. I, I felt like the movie really, really wanted you to like really, really wanted us to like be like wowed when namor takes shuri through telecon and i was just like this place doesn't look that cool like when i've already looks seen like fucking ass. oh my gosh yes no I. <laughs> it looks like a piece so, of shit I, so, it's so, terrible like and, I, and, and, and for yeah and for everything you guys can say about like you know i know i, I know you're you, you're you guys are both you guys you already explained like why you're kind of mixed in the first movie like you can't you have to admit wakanda looked fucking cool in the first movie and you understand why they wanted to protect it and, that's not why i'm not willing to admit that Oh, okay. I'll, I thought I'll, it was I'll cool. jump in. I'll I'll jump in a little bit. I think you've made some points that I uh, very much agree with, Josh. And not necessarily like, oh, how like cool Wakanda looks, but Wakanda looked like a civilization, and like how Wakatan or whatever, um, just kind of looked like you know some underwater like like ship. Like it didn't look like there was anything going on in there. It didn't look like there was like things to do or or like places to sleep or and they spend so much time or... talking it up before they even yeah. go there they, like and, and him telling this whole you got to have this flashback 500 years to when they started and you're just like yeah. really built up for something to look dope as shit and it doesn't and it yeah. doesn't it looks, it's cast in darkness and we know why because you know like they the visual effects artists probably didn't have enough time they're casting everything in darkness so that they yeah. can hide the shoddy quality of the effects work well the thing is we spent so much time hearing about it and like he in so much time hearing him talk about how he wants to murder this 19 year old girl that built a vibranium detector and it's like why like someone if she if a 19 year old girl built a vibranium detector 
someone else is probably going to build another one. You're like risking it all to go murder this 19 year old. I need to know what's it. I need, I need to know what's at stake a little more instead. Like one, again, your, your civilization kind of doesn't look that cool and doesn't look all that. Like it just doesn't look that special Two, Like we didn't spend enough time with any of his fellow, any of his people to like learn any of their names. I mean, there's a little bit of a conversation. There's a little bit with a personality, maybe with the guy that Okoye gets in the fight with on the bridge in Boston. And that was like one of the only good action scenes in the movie, in my opinion. But no, it wasn't. Okay. Well, nothing's ever good enough for you on the action scenes, but like, but for for the layman action, not in the studio blockbuster. Right. Like, but like, that's like the only character I can even really remember from his people besides him. And it's like, if you had like spent more time with them, made that area look cooler, spent more time there, like, I feel like you would have understood what he was fighting for. And he comes off as a little bit more of a crazy person than he, I think he should have, because instead it's just like, you just want, you're just a child murderer because someone built a metal detector, you know? Yeah, I, I get it. Vibranium is not metal, but you get what I mean. Um, and I just like between that, between that and also just like, I mean, I guess you could have spent more time in Wakanda and doing different things there with it, but we can get into that too. But that was my thing. It's like, there are certain mis- missteps here where it's like, it would have just made everything a lot better if they, you know, allocated their time better. And I just thought there were certain things, it, it just dwelled on things that I didn't think it needed to dwell on, you know? It, yeah, it, no. it was a real waste of two hours and 44 minutes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, all right. So here's the thing. Um, it's tough to talk about this movie because it's the movie itself is so fucking gun focused. Um, but pretty well, much actually, can I, can, can I back up for one second? Cause I feel like I jumped over. Is there, let me just ask you guys before we jump into the rest of it in light of what happened with Chadwick Boseman, is there a different way you think they should have addressed it? Do, do, I mean, I feel like maybe that for those first 15 minutes were maybe a little more, uh, focused in, uh, not obviously they were focused, but like oh, maybe a little more visually coherent. And it, it felt like it felt like it was almost out of a different movie because honestly, like you're kind of watching these people grieve him on screen. Is there, would you, do you think they should have looked over that? Do you think they should have addressed it the way that, do you think that it was fine the way they addressed it? Or would, would you have tackled that head on? Cause a lot of the movie itself is about grief though. I'm sure your response to that might be like, well, it's about a lot of things and it doesn't really, it doesn't really know what it wants to do for so much of it, even if it is trying to be about that. But like, I, I want, I wanted, I meant to start out by asking you guys that like it, it had a really tough, they were dealt a tough hand. And I think you guys even acknowledged that, but like, is there something different you would have done to start it? Or do you think that was the most appropriate way to kind of do a throat clearing for lack of a better term recast that nigga that's what i say like that's interesting what interesting wow. interesting but like but I, I never liked uh chadwick boseman i never thought that his portrayal of t'challa was very interesting uh perhaps it's just down to how it was written i don't know but uh, getting a little bit ahead of myself look the problem the problem with picking apart any one aspect of this movie that doesn't work is that you then break down this this house of cards of like all the things that made this movie not work yeah i don't even know where to begin really but like yeah so of course this movie was dealt the the worst hand that this movie was dealt was the death of chadwick boseman and how do you uh, account for that now i think that the reason why we don't get a recast is probably because it would just look bad for disney and like they have some stupid fans would have been like how dare you i think i bet some yeah i, I wouldn't have been opposed to it but some fans would have been like that's unfair to his memory why would you do that and it's like yeah as people if, recast people a, all the time it's just a fucking comic book movie man like you just just recast it he's he, he wasn't mlk like come yeah. on like, i, chill, I chill think out. the thing i think the the thing is is that like people have grown such incredible attachments to the movies and to these characters that like, you know, like every single uh, weekend, there's like a big controversy of, ooh, like big movie star, big director, this is Marvel movies, how dare they? So like, I feel like people are just like very sensitive about Marvel movies in general, that like, you know, I don't think that there's going to be 
a um I, I don't think there was a seamless enough way to recast uh uh t'challa from a a, a pr perspective so like disney just sort of like said okay well we're, we're marvel we can write around anything you know yeah and they'll, and they'll the come fact, and watch and the <laughs> like, is, yeah they did come admittedly they did come to watch but they the did fact come to is, watch yeah all right so pretty much the emotional core of this movie is uh the new lead shuri kind of grappling with um you know the death of her Grief. brother and of yeah. course yes and of course her mother is now queen of wakanda and has to grapple with her own grief while ruling this superpowered nation that has a target on its back right mm -hmm. and there is an interesting story to explore there you know like how do you as like this royal family of this powerful uncolonized nation stand up against the world that wants your resources yet again recolonize recolonization 2.0 right instead of that instead of just being about that no we have to incorporate namor because i assume namor is going to be pulled into some other marvel yeah. thing down the line so then you have to juggle this plot line with namor uh who is like a very unimpressive villain um all right it's, it's a I... real it's a it's a real mcu problem i i'm i'm following your train of thought it's like there's a better movie if you just sort if you're able to actually focus on just the nation of Wakanda itself. All right, Mo, I was curious to ask you about that because one thing I was telling Daniel before we started, before you logged on, before we were recording, like I, I didn't consume as much about this movie as I normally do before because I've been so busy before I do these. But I saw one thing, I couldn't get it out of my head where I saw this is the second, where it was like a critic that was, wasn't was like shitting on the movie completely, but it was like, look, I like parts of this. But one thing I can't get out of my head is that this is the second one of these movies that is kind of like alluded to some kind of like uh, some possible white guy who could be a villain or some possible white people could be villain or some sort of colonizer and then kind of pivots to make a person of color the bad guy instead and so but but at the same time a lot of people are like really really praising namor too and think it was an incredible performance an incredible villain daniel disagrees so i'm wondering do you think there's a movie of this version that all do you also think there's a version of this movie that works with no namor that is more focused on wakanda dealing with the rest of this world i think people are like getting primed to celebrate and praise the movie because like you know, like I, I did like Black Panther original. Like I liked the first movie a lot. And this is drastically different in terms of like narrative, in terms of quality, in terms of like, you know, uh, captivating of the villains. Like, I'm sorry, but like Namor doesn't have anything on Killmonger. He just doesn't. He just, it's like, they're two different class of, class of characters. And like, it's just this thing where like people are just, you know, ready to get super hyped up about these movies but like they're super hyped up because it's you know the brand is giving them more of what they want but like the namor people and all of them that didn't need to be in this movie like we didn't need them we didn't necessarily need riri williams we we could have just done a, another um wakanda versus the world movie and it would have actually been really really good if we had tr uh, if we had stuck to that one focus well it's also it, it wouldn't be in another wakanda versus the world movie because it really it was, got the first, first one was focused on killmonger not really the rest of the world or what killmonger right. wanted to do the rest of the world so it would have been its own thing if they if they just kind of continue that story and like how this was going where uh t'challa makes that pledge at the end of the first one like the as daniel put it to become neoliberals and uh <laughs> if it was like hey how's that going and they kind of alluded to that at the beginning or it's like my the brother's world keeper is like, international <laughs> the, the, I mean, they're not totally holding up their end of the bargain, but the rest, the rest of the world is just like not really playing nice either. 
Um, All right. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing about the uh, Namor thing. Look, there's another alternative in, in that, like, I actually do think that there is something to be explored in, like, these two uncolonized nations going to war with each other. Like, of course, some people are, have complained about, like, the, the, the optics of that. And I understand. And, you know, it's not that I'm not going to dismiss that out of hand. But at the same time, I think there is something thematically interesting to explore about the idea that, you know, these are two fantasy fantasy versions of nations uncolonized by untouched by colonialism right so how do these two nations sort of develop and preserve their culture without the influence of europeans and how does the world at large react to their presence what responsibility do they feel towards the world what do they feel their roles in the world are and how could these two nations possibly be brought into conflict with one another which is you know, like, uh, I know that I might be reaching a little bit here, but you look at like this recent events with like Kanye West and like the rise of anti-Semitism. Like I go online and I see in black spaces, a lot of adoption of like anti-Semitic uh, rhetoric that is just kind of like been in, like, I don't know, like they've been like kind of like brainwashed by this shit and they're, they're soaking this stuff in without really fully grappling with it or thinking critically about it. You know, there are threads in, you know, in history and in today where like marginalized peoples can be pitted against one another. And I think there is something interesting to be explored there in this movie, but you know, it's not because it's a fucking comic book movie. Yeah. <laughs> and, no. And, and, and to that point, like, you know, there, there was a point that Shuri could have made if, if it wasn't necessarily just focused on uh, the new Ironheart character that we have to debut there is a point that you can make about uh, Wakanda's like responsibility to the other colonized people on the planet to say like, hey, you know, um, like we've actually done some outreach, you know, we've actually, you know, uh, uh, partnered with nations like Haiti and like other all these other places. And mm -hmm. like, we don't feel like they should be included in your, um, in your, you know, a crusade against the surface world, you know, and then Namor might be that under that misunderstanding, um, marginalized person who says, no, the whole world is corrupt. The whole world, you know, is, uh, uh, stained by colonialism. We have to like go against the entire world. You're the only, because of your isolation, you're the only untouched people so that's why you're God, an ally it's so like, wild that it, you just created a more interesting version of this movie <laughs> in the middle of a zoom call but like yeah but like it's but like that's the thing is that like we could have had that but instead we had to focus on the scientists and then after focusing on the scientists we have to focus on you know the dumb cia people and like focus on like all this other stuff that it just it it really was uh, like you said, haphazardly done. And it's not just that there's so much else that's competing with it. It's just like the actual narrative, uh, the actual like driving plot is not very interesting in and of itself because, you know, Namor is not a compelling villain. Uh, I, I, I don't know who the hell was talking about like, oh, Namor is a compelling villain because he's not. He's like, there's, uh, there's a lot of like Twitter, like, hooting and hollering about it but like i just but like again i've even seen some people yeah, that like didn't like, i've it. even seen so i've even seen stuff from people that didn't like the movie that like say oh he's the one good part like people no 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 look here's the thing here's the let me let me clarify here that like um okay namor right so how does this guy come to screen so shuri and her mom are like on the the bank of the uh of the lake in wakanda 
Invicta. And they're talking about T'Challa and like his loss and like them processing their grief. And in the middle of this conversation, at the emotional high point of this conversation, uh, which is, by the way, taking this place dude with wing feet comes out of nowhere. It's taking place in fucking pitch blackness. They're having a two person <laughs> conversation and the camera is being edited. The camera is like going from one to another. Like it's a fucking action scene, a horribly cut action scene, which is all the action in this fucking movie. But then in the middle, at the emotional high point of this movie, uh, some guy pops out of the lake unceremoniously and then he <laughs> floats like with like little fucking flapping wings over to them and he says hi my name is namor i am the leader of this nation i am going to and he just kind of drops two minutes of exposition on them it's all shot reverse shot they never share the frame and because they never share the frame you know for a fact that these two these two groups of people shuri and uh and uh her mom and uh, uh um not film this in the same room they're not being in the same, they're not feeling this in the same room. I'm pretty sure that these two don't even know what they're reacting to. They don't know what the other person that they're talking to is going to be looking like because the costumes probably aren't decided yet. They and also, so, this might be nitpicky. They also say he wasn't alone. And like, I, I watched this movie twice and I was looking for the other people in that shot and there's nobody there. Right. Well, I, remember, I, I remember to reference that too. And I was like, wait, there, what, did he have a lot of other people floating around there? I didn't remember that. No, there, was there, was, no, there. there was no one. So like, yeah, it, it's clear that this is a scene that is like on a fundamental, when I say that on a fundamental level, stuff doesn't work. I'm saying that like, it looks like crap. And the reason it looks like crap is to cover up the, uh, the effects work, because I assume that they didn't have a lot of time, you know, for in post-production uh, because they needed to rush this thing out. They had CG artists like uh, operating under 80 hour work weeks, trying to, you know, missing their families and shit. Um, <laughs> you know and because like you know they have that shoddy effects work going on they cast it in darkness to cover that up and because you're casting everything in darkness to cover that up you need to cast scenes that don't have all those cg effects in darkness because uh to, to keep a visual consistency within the movie the same reason the editing looks like crap uh probably because oh a probably because they're just like shooting for coverage they don't even have a clear idea on how they're gonna uh block these people blocking being like where people are placed in the frame mo um, they have no idea how people are going to look on screen while they're shooting it. So instead, uh, and probably because they're all in a green screen environment anyways. So instead, they just plop a bunch of cameras down, point it at the actors. And then in the post-production, in the editing suite, they decide what one looks best, which is not a good way to make a visually dynamic movie. This is not how <laughs> this is not how it's supposed to be done. Sounds like they should have hired our friend Elijah to just do all the work on this movie because he's an editor and a colorist by trade. Yeah, and like um, like continuity all over the place. I remember there's one particular moment and this is only one small moment, but at one moment, like they're in a lab and like Lapita is sitting on a set of stairs and she, she says something to, um, to Shuri cut camera cuts to Shuri. Shuri's like 10 feet away doing something. She responds and the camera cuts back to Lapita and she's now right next to Shuri. Like that's a break in <laughs> continuity in like a fucking hundred $200 million movie and stuff like that is all over the place. It is one of those things where like, when you mess up these sort of really basic uh, parts of filmmaking craft, like it really does impact the feel and flow of the story in a way that to, even if people can't articulate what is going on and what is wrong, I think you do get that sense and how disjointed the narrative feels. Okay, so before you uh, explained all of that, well, you guys both kind of laid out your own versions for like what this film could kind of be and uh, in other ways in which it could have uh, told its story in a, and, uh, and focused on things that were more important and, uh, and would have made for a more uh, centralized story. But like, I think in both, in any kind of version that we were discussing, 
you're going to have something about uh, you're going to have this. You're going to have some version of the of the of the Shuri and and the Queen stuff. You know, like that had to be there. Uh, if if you're going to have this movie without Bozeman, uh, you're going to have to kind of like you know deal with. Uh, I don't even want to call it palace intrigue or just like how they move on. You know, and and th- th- that was there was no way around it. Like everyone was speculating from the moment he died who was going to be the next to wear the suit. Uh, and were they going to recast? Were they going to put someone in there? That is going to be part of this movie, no matter what you do with all the other stuff we already talked about. Uh, Mo, I'm wondering, wh- what did you think about how that corner of the movie was handled? Because one thing that I I wasn't sure if it was even if if I if it, I was going to sound out of pocket bringing it up in this context. I, I as I watched because I didn't really know exactly how that was going to be handled. I wasn't sure based on a lot of this po- a lot of these production troubles how big of a role uh, Letitia Wright was going to have in this movie. I didn't know, like, because we'd only really heard stories from the set and stuff like that and about how they had to shut down production multiple times because she got COVID or she was spreading anti-vax conspiracies, stuff like that. And I was wondering going into this, like, were that did they have to rework the movie to, like, make her a smaller part of it? So then, like, when she actually ends up being as big of a part of it as it was, for all you can say about her as an actor, I would be lying if I said I wasn't thinking about the production of this movie as I was watching it a little bit and being like, man, like, how she really is in this a lot like how how hard was this for these filmmakers to deal with this when she had to be around this much for the version of the movie they ended up writing so i'm wondering i guess one at the end of the day what did you think about what they put on screen in that part of the movie with what was going on on the home front for lack of a better term and two like were you able to set aside all the other stuff we know about leticia right now um yeah so like i was able to like set it set that aside because by the end of the day like you know it's just a movie i don't necessarily care right. about the celebrities uh themselves sure. right they're um, not the stars yeah <laughs> <laughs> but like you know like you know i i was more focused on like you know how she sort of came across and like and and that's the thing like i don't want to like you know make it as if like i didn't enjoy any parts of this movie this movie was very touching right like I can very much like what Letitia Wright does well is make her feel the loss of her uh brother T'Challa and in the way that like a lot of the movie sort of feels like there's a presence lost without him right and so like I, I definitely like enjoyed that stuff and I enjoyed um sort of the uh you could say like themes that she goes through between like overworking to like ignore the grief to like cynicism when her mom tries to bring up like some of the religious and spirituality aspects of the grief T'Challa is still with us and she's like no mom that's a construct of your mind like you know to like the rage that she feels even though some aspects it I you know I, I mentioned to Lima it was a little like Tom Holland-esque she just had like a little bit of a tick uh, that I wasn't necessarily like. Uh, I'm still not entirely sure what you meant by that, to be honest with you. I'm still <laughs> not just, entirely sure. It it just it, it it I don't know what it is, but like it just sort of reminded me of of him just a little bit. Okay. But like, you know, like I really enjoyed all of those parts, but like there was something like you know, in the first movie, there's so much character and like you know, there's so much to relate to and like you know. Like, uh, part of the reason why, like, you know, uh, uh, my late sister loved that movie so much was because she kind of identified with Sherry a little bit. And I don't necessarily see that same sort of magic in this movie. And I think that a lot of that is the production issues that she either brought to the movie herself or the movie went through 
you know? Daniel, you were nodding right there. What, 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 what resonated with you and what he just said? I think that like it's very he, he makes a very good point in that like Letitia Wright's character in that first movie was very charming. Uh, she was very lively and, you know, audiences did love her. But, you know, with this movie, because she's kind of stuck in grief mode from the first moment and, mm-hmm. you know, like, like I, I get like, you know, the script has to kind of account for the passing of Chadwick Boseman and the passing of the character. So, like, it makes a certain sort of sense. But like, I don't know, like the character after, be, you know, she she's left in a in a situation that she the actress has to be kind of affectless and that's not a good way to create a new hero a new lead especially after the regal performance of uh well you know according to most people of uh chadwick boseman like you're trying to craft somebody who's gonna fill let the man rest in peace you don't need to keep shitting on him daniel (laughs) i'm digging him up just to just to bury him (laughs) once again but um (laughs) but um yeah no no letitia wright just is letitia wright just I don't think is capable enough an actress to really, and like, you know, she's underserved by the role as written one. I mean, I think she's fine in the grief scenes. Even if I had these issues where I was having trouble not thinking about her being a conspiracy theorist, but I'm wondering, and when you're saying like, Hey, maybe she had to be serious throughout. And like, we kind of liked that she was charming. And again, maybe at the point in the movie where this other stuff that I'm about to reference happens, maybe you're just headed headed towards the climax. So there's not going to be as much humor at that point anyway. But one of my reactions to, the actual stuff taking place in physical Wakanda in this movie was that like when they kill off Angela Bassett, I'm like, it reminded me of what I thought was an unnecessary moment in Spider-Man No Way Home. I didn't think they needed to kill Aunt May, especially because it seemed like they were just trying to get, get to the point where they could have her say the stupid, like with great power comes great responsibility line while she was dying. Like, I think they just really wanted that. And it was grown worthy. And it's like, look, Spider-Man, like Tom Holland, Spider-Man had already gone through enough at that point. It just felt like they were grief eating and they wanted to put him through more. And it just felt kind of unnecessary. Like they were trying to just like, you know, they didn't trust themselves to gin up another moving moment without a death. And I kind of thought the same here at that point. I was like, I, they've already gone through a lot here. I don't, they just had their whole city torn up that they're so proud of. I don't really need her to die. But at the same time, that kind of set up, I mean, I actually thought it was not as hokey as it could have been when they brought Killmonger back to the ancestral plane. And I get it why that kind of made sense to have her die and then be surprised she was seeing him and not her. But like, I mean, she was just going to be totally serious throughout at that point once she died. And I was like, I don't really know if that was a necessary death. And I don't know if you guys had any particular opinions on that, but I think that's one way where you can not have her spiraling quite in the same way throughout when it's like, she's already like at a pretty low point when she lost her brother. I don't really need her to lose her mother too. Um, well, I, I, I'll touch upon that, because, but I think that that relates to kind of how I feel about Namor, the character, the portrayal, okay. of, like that whole narrative. Um, sure, go uh, but going back a little bit to the how they handle the grief, um, yeah. this is one of those cases where I think it, there are isolated moments in this movie. I'll grant them that isolated moments in this movie where like it does seem like real people trying to grapple with the loss of a loved one uh there's very specifically i remember this moment uh when angela bassett goes to meet uh lapita and she talks about oh you weren't at the funeral and she kind of explains how it was hard for her and i was so struck by this scene because clearly this were two people in an actual real location because you could tell how the light was coming down off of the uh, from the uh, from the windows and such. They were in a real practical location. Uh, they were both on set at the same time because you could see them sharing the frame, looking at each other, meeting each other's eye lines. And the fact that I was so taken by the fact that a fucking two hundred fifty million dollar movie put two people in the same room—that's so sad. That is so sad that that's where we got because so. 
many scenes in this movie that should feel that resonant um, are not because they are undercut with the, by the way that Marvel makes these sorts of movies to pump them out so that they can get to the next one. Uh, mm-hmm. So many of the emotional scenes are stifled. Uh, like there, there are some like, again, like when uh, she wakes up from the ancestral plane and she's super mad, she feels kind of betrayed by like this spiritual world that she kind of had been denying, but also had held out some hope that she would see maybe her mother or her brother once again and instead she sees this man she hated like and there's a real anger to her in that scene and she's actually there on set with Lapita and with Riri Williams or whoever I forgot is that the name of the character or the actor I don't care that's the Um, the character fair but like you know and they're real and they're bouncing off of each other in an organic sort of way and the fact that that's the level that I'm at that I'm impressed by three people acting off of each other in a major motion picture depressing Um, when it comes to Angela Bassett's death um i think you are right in pointing out that it's a clear artificial way to kind of enhance the stakes and create some kind of emotional connection to namor and shuri because otherwise there's no like you had pointed there's out, no reason to want to kill namor if she doesn't if her mom doesn't was, die from the attack was, as as you started off this episode saying journey there's no reason for them to there's no there's no reason for them to go to war until halfway through the movie like you pointed yeah. out like if a 19 year old can make this thing and i hate that i'm taking this thing seriously for a moment but <laughs> if a 19 year old can create a device to body blah, 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 blah that makes the atlantean people mad then somebody else is going to make that device too what's the point of capturing the scientist and then halfway halfway through this three-hour movie he says it's not about the scientist more will come and i'm like why did we sit through that why the fuck did we sit through that so but then you know whatever you get the big battle scene where the atlanteans go and attack uh uh, fucking um um, the last battle scene was really bad i don't know if you they're all really they're all awful they're really like numbing my ears like the the big like awful terrible it was was such a dumb plan too like it's like they got this massive massive ship that like half of it is underwater and you know you're attacking these underwater people that would presumably be able to attack the bottom of your ship and it moves so slow it's so funny when they're like trying to make the battle plan in Wakanda and they're like, how are we going to attack them? And like open ocean. And <laughs> I was talking to JD and JD was like, I heard that. And I just started laughing because of course it's going to be an open ocean. You know why? Because it's easy to green screen. It's easy to get the volumetric lighting thing that they do on the Mandalorian and then just have shoot everything flat. You know, you can have just a flat, you know, the, how would they frame the battle scene? The battle scene is an entirely just a flat plane. They get a bunch of stunt people to kind of just swing sword at one another and then they shoot for coverage there's no uh storytelling being told within the action there's no story beats to the action it's just random shots of people fighting you get wide shots of random people fighting you get medium shots of like the main characters kind of doing stuff and then you get the cg stuff which is all looking flat as hell because you know the uh the uh practical fighting has to blend in with the cg fighting even though the cg fighting all looks fake as hell anyways but they need to have that sort of visual consistency and Mm -hmm. the end result is just a mishmash of different stuff happening for like a half hour i'm staring at the scene like am i supposed to be feeling anything because there's no rhythm to this there's no story being told if you cut all of this out and got to the end there'd be no difference and one sort of uh final point to that particular part of the movie with um the blue people atlanteans or whatever whenever they're in battle mode it really bugs me how inconsistent their like 
powers are supposed to be because in the opening scene of them uh, the return get, of them the return of the mo no no in the opening scene of them you know she she starts shooting right and like it's he the, he kind of looks bulletproof like you know no, the bullets aren't affecting him but then as she's trying as the spy is trying to escape she's shooting them and it's working they're at least getting yeah, stunned no, 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 like, right. kills one of them yeah <laughs> they shoot yeah no it's yeah. in the first battle scene with them they get shot and they fall but then they come back up and i'm yeah, like they, you know you are right there is no consistency and like it, and you know i'm yeah. always like it's a comic book who cares but like it ruins the sense of stake within the action scene. Like within I know that action, people complain. Yeah. People complain about like you know, oh well, if any comic book character can come back to life, then what's the point of these the stakes of these movies? And I actually kind of push back against that because you know, within the confines of these sorts of move of, of, within the movie itself, you kind of accept a certain sort of I don't know, special disbelief isn't the right word, but like just like in the comics, like anyone can come back in the comics after a couple of years, but like. What's important is the emotion that is being sold within whatever you're experiencing there. And, and, and in I this have, movie, they yeah. betray that. In this movie, they betray that because, like you just pointed out, now you have no idea what's the stakes. Like, can they come back to life? If they can come back to life, what's the point of all this action? Like, right. No, I, you you have no sense of, like, stakes to, like, like, what can the heroes do to fend off this, like, horde of people? Because in one, in one scene, a killing blow can happen from conventional weapons or from Wakandan weapons. And then in another scene, Okoye is doing all this action. She's stabbing and, and, and slashing and all these, and all these kill shots. And then they just sort of, you know, muzzle back up to life. And it's just like, all right. So like, are they like some super powerful force? That's like incredible, like, you know, impossible to kill or are they like easily killable? Like they were on the boat. Like it makes no sense. And at this point <laughs> I do have to go, I have to do a uh, step into a broadly speaking action corner um like pretty much like uh yeah this what we're complaining about affects the entirety of the movie from the very first the very first fight scene is where i started being like oh i'm in trouble with this movie because after that opening at the funeral then there's like this set piece of like the uh dora machine or whatever the hell dora like, yeah like taking out a bunch of navy seals and it's immediately there's like 10 different cuts to see like her swing like a spear and i'm like oh okay we're in for some dog shit action editing. I don't know why I'm even surprised anymore. This is a big budget action movie. It's not even unique to Marvel. Uh, but like you'd think that after the criticism that the first movie got for its action set pieces, you'd think that they might go, okay, maybe we should touch this one up a little bit. But no, all the practical action is cut fucking horribly, including the one on the the uh, the highway, which is again, also cast in fucking darkness. There's no personality to how they fight. You know, they're just swinging at each other. You know, there's no how one... Uh, uh, warrior with a spear fights is no different from how another warrior with a spear fights. They're shot unimaginatively. Uh, there's no rhythm to the fight scenes. Like, you know, it's just them swinging at each other until one of them falls. And I think the most, uh, we've complained about the the last action set piece, but I think that, and going back uh, to in the very roundabout way to uh, the death of the queen, um, this is the action set piece where like, it's very clear to me that the writers have no idea what to do with this otherworldly uh, Navi. Oh, I'm so, oh, I said Navi. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, 
So in this set piece, like this is where Namor is like, you know, we're going to go to war with Wakanda. I'm going to unleash my strength. They've been talking this guy up as like this huge major threat. They've been talking the Atlanteans as like this huge major threat, even to Wakanda, like a more powerful nation that even Wakanda can't handle. So what happens in this scene? They throw a bunch of water bombs. There's a there's some flooding and Namor and Namor. He gets up and like, we're like, oh, so he's the dangerous militant leader. Like he's willing to kill. Like we had that scene where he's like, you know, talking to the queen and he's like, I will kill Shuri. I will kill all these people. And it's like, oh, he's a badass, isn't he? He's going to kill a lot of people, right? What does this motherfucker do? He throws a bunch of planes around. <laughs> like you never actually see him kill anybody, which, you know, considering that we watched Killmonger kill people, you know, mm-hmm. to establish that this is a villain who is a threat because he is willing to use violence. They're not selling this guy who is supposed to be this big badass threat in the same sort of way. He just throws a couple planes around, bloodless deaths. And when he finally kills the queen, it's not even him actually killing the queen. He throws a water bomb and she drowns trying to save someone else. So they're even robbing him of that sort of like, uh, like that sort of import in the narrative. You know, he's barely a freaking villain. Like he doesn't actually even kill the queen. She sacrifices herself. And and like, you know, when you talk about building an action set piece, it's like, what is the emotion of this? What are we trying to sell to an audience? And with this, it it's trying to sell that like, oh, we found out how to do like a real good water simulation. And if we just keep doing that, we don't have to really be creative about anything else. So cool. <laughs> I, I, I did. I mean, I, I kind of see what you're saying about how in some ways it kind of maybe soften the edges on that character the way they actually executed that scene though i did find that scene a little more interesting and uh moving just again like i I guess i was probably a little more impressed than you were with the world building of wakanda in the first movie and the production design and all that so just to see it to to see it torn apart actually like so easily was kind of striking to me when we've spent so much of these movies like or so much building up wakanda we had the final fight scene in uh the first uh Thanos movie right. because in Wakanda because it was such this impenetrable. And, and how, force. Yeah, I was I was I was about to say impenetrable. So just because because we learned that so much to see how easily uh, Namor and his and, and his people were able to just kind of slice through it, I was like, oh shit! Like they mean business, <laughs> which made it even more striking at the end when like he was he he lost to who has Daniel built it a a not very jacked Shuri basically who had already gotten stabbed through her body and then was still able to beat him after that, you know? Yeah. Uh, Look, (laughs) I I should address that. So Wakanda, Wakanda sucks. So I've thought this even from the first one, people have been crediting like, Oh, Wakanda is such great world building. Look, what Wakanda is, is they took a bunch of CGI. I know. No, no, it's yeah. It's a CG fakery, but like beyond that, like the art design is interesting because they're taking uh, this pan-African futurist design. Like they're taking influence from a bunch of different African cultures all over the continent in order to create this fantasy land, which I guess in some ways is interesting because it's like a, an American's view of what a, uh, a non-colonized futurist society in Africa would look like, which is to say that Americans don't really get the difference. Like black Americans don't really get the difference between all these disparate African cultures, but whatever, you know, that there at least is something interesting there, but beyond the visual design of Wakanda, 
what is that world like? Because in the first movie, almost the entire thing takes place within the walls of the palace. Uh, and, and we never get a view of Wakanda outside of that one city. It doesn't take over the entire country apparently the country is far bigger than this one city like it's an actual land so like what is it what is it what is this function what what is the lives of these people uh and, and you know uh, the, the same can and even less is uh spent on uh oh i'm so sorry i'm just gonna call it atlantis um they, I, even Tunlukan? Okay, whatever. Atlantis, sorry. It's just fucking, I'm sure, so sure. done it's with fine. this movie. There's no definition given to this people, which again, is like the conflict of this movie is between these two different cultures. And if you were actually interested in crafting a very interesting sort of narrative, you would give a little life to both of these uh, places. Now that you've established the visual language of Wakanda, now you can spend some time on the culture. Um, but even Wakanda as it stands, uh, which I think is very uh, shallow, at least we can say, oh, they value ancestor worship. Like they value their ancestors very well. They, they value uh, their science and technology because they, they spent so much time in the lab. They value community. Well, they, sure. But like, yeah, like, like there's at least that to be said. But like I was talking to a coworker and he was so frustrated when I pointed this out and he didn't seem to get what I was saying. Um, what are the values of, uh, I'm sorry, what Telecon. was it called? Tetlukan, what are the values of that society? Is it warlike? We don't actually know. We know Namor is kind of warlike, but we don't know if that's a central tenet of the rest of that society. Are they all warriors? Um, uh, like, do they go to school? <laughs> do they, are they educated? Like we get even from like little jokes from the Wakandan characters when they call like the uh, bullets and guns and such of the American villains, like they call them primitives. Like that, tells you that you know there's a cultural tenet of like you know uh, education, education. Yeah. um we don't get anything out of this other world so you get these two very thinly defined cultures going up against each other and yeah it's no wonder that we feel nothing when they finally come to blows yeah, yeah no like i was saying like i i, I wanted more about what why 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 they were so fiercely protective of that country and we, we we really didn't learn anything about them and i i would i would agree with you that like we don't in, in the same vein we don't know that much about the daily lives of your average wakandan i did what i was referring to is though that i thought they did a good job of at least setting up what that city looked like if nothing else and they didn't even do that for telecom so no, they, when they put a big light bulb in the middle of the ocean and he's like <laughs> i brought a sun to my people and it's a just blue like fucking light <laughs> uh, just a bunch of shadows um like i'm staring at like what the what are, we, are we supposed to be she's like looking around she's like this is beautiful this is, and i'm like is it I'm like, is it what? first off first off leticia we know you're not looking at anything like you have nothing i was watching that whole underwater scenes and i was thinking about that i don't know if you heard about this mo the james cameron quote he was doing an interview and somebody asked him like hey we've got all these movies set underwater like the new wakanda movie and this and that so why was it so important to you james cameron for avatar 2 to develop this new technology and like train your crew to like breathe under hold their breath underwater for like 10 minutes at a time to get all these underwater mocap why was this so important to you and his response uh like almost exact wording was i don't know because it'll look good like 
and like I'm thinking about that watching this and I'm like, see, that's the difference. That's a fucking artist who was willing to yeah. take time to get his vision to screen in an actually dynamic way that's going to sell the emotion yeah, to I mean, an audience. I don't want to say that as a discredit to Cougar because there's a, I guess, a different no, it's the conditions that he's, yeah, it's, it's the different yeah. the conditions that he's, maybe if he had the opportunity. Av- Avatar, he would, is, Avatar is Avatar. He doesn't have to answer to some other cinematic universe. So he can just, he can just go fuck off for 13 years and make three other movies and just keep pushing, putting it off, putting it off, putting it off, you know? So, yeah. But like, and that's where we get to the fact that this is uh, the movie that kind of like shows like in stark detail, as if none of the others did uh, the limits of this universe. I know Mo has to go relatively soon. So before we, we we can finish up talking about anything else, we feel like we have time to, but I want to ask you about like the final credit scene where we learn uh, we, 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 Shuri, we learn his kind of advocated, I don't want to say advocated, well, I guess she kind of could have been queen and she decides she's not going to be queen though. She'd already kind of taken the new, um, man-made heart-shaped herb and got the Black Panther powers, but she's like, yeah, I don't need to be queen. I want to go do my own thing. She goes back to Haiti to, uh, find Nakia and she learns that like she and T'Challa had a son that they hid from everyone else. Um, and I think a lot of people were like, I mean, in the same, and look, maybe you're not seeing these same people that like love Namor and uh, were incredibly moved by this last scene, but I think there's some people that are incredibly moved and thought they got the cutest kid to play him and really liked that final scene. And it did not sit right with me at all. And I hated that I, little nigga. <laughs> hated that kid. Dude, dude, dude. He sucks. They thought they had the cutest kid and so they gave him some cute lines. Um, my he looks like that corn kid. Little digger, bro. Like, come he, on. Looks like, he, look, <laughs> he looks like that corn kid. Remember the corn cob kid? Yes. The kid was like, it's corn. I love corn. Like, I was staring at him. And like, they got the same kid, and he acts just as well. I think. Ugh. I think they wanted the whole audience to go, "Oh, T'Challa had a son. That's so awesome. There's going to be a future T'Challa who's also named T'Challa." And I was just like, "Man, I don't really buy for a second that this guy who supposedly like meant so much to his family." Would just hide a kid from them and let them know, and, and not tell them. I get it. He, he was so mad about he was so mad about his father doing the same thing with like the, <laughs> the, the cousin, like that he right. kept this kid away from his homeland and shit. Well, right. It's like yeah. I, I, I feel like he would have at least like been like had he would have had the he his family wouldn't have been able to force him to raise his son there. He, if he really felt that strongly about it, he'd be like, This is what I want for my son deal with it and sent Nakia on her way. I think he would have been able to get away with that. And especially since he was kind of king at that point, you know, like, I think, I, I don't think he needed to hide it from his family who were, were spe- we spent this whole movie learning about how much they all loved each other in his absence, in his absence. We're talking about how much they all loved him, how much love they have for each other. I would like to think that they have, they would have enough respect for him to like respect his wishes on that. And said, like, after he I don't see why it, Shuri didn't have to know. I like, right. Or it, the mom. It, it hints, no, no, no. It does tell you that the mom knows. Oh, uh, she did. Uh, they, they wouldn't tell. Shuri. Oh, I missed that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, th- that's something that you guys might have missed that I definitely caught in the second rewatch. Okay, That's Shuri very strange actually, that they just didn't yeah. want to tell Shuri. Like Shuri's not going to be able to make him raise the kid there. They yeah. can just know and visit the kid if they want to keep him off of Wakanda. Like that, that was so strange how like that had to be a secret. I, and it just, it's, it, it's, it made it, it made me look at his relationship with like Shuri in a little bit of a different way. And that didn't make any sense based on what everything else we've been told. I, I kind of wrote it off because I just felt like that was a choice that they had to make in order to give people something to be a little bit excited about almost in like a, like, well, you know, um, uh, Chadwick Boseman's gone, therefore T'Challa's gone. But look, we got a little T'Challa for you guys. T'Challa, you know, T'Challa like, will return in the Young Avengers. Ugh. Like, you know, like they 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 tried to like get the fans to be like excited and cheer cheer for that. And so like that's the reason why they wrote it. I I just kind of like it, but 
it's one of those things that it's just disjointed from the rest of the narrative of the movie. So I, I kind of write it off. The one, one review I did read was uh, David Ehrlich, who wrote, uh, Wakanda Forever uh, still builds in a few eye-rolling contingency plans for the future, just in case the actress has some other toxic opinions that Disney doesn't know about yet. <laughs> so, in case she goes off yeah, the deep no. end again, like they can be like, all right, kid, you're up. You're the new Black Panther. I swear to God, why the hell was Lapita not Black Panther? Like she's I, she's right there. She's the bigger star. She she's, actually she's a trained spy. Work. She's a trained spy. Like sure, it's just a fucking scientist. I, I don't know what it is because like it really would have made more sense unless like Lupita was just kind of adamant. Like I don't want to be tied to this more than I have to. In which you case, know? good for her. Get which that is money. yeah, no, right. good for her. Like and that would be cool. But like if if it's not her choice, if it's not Lupita, like you know saying like no i don't really want the mantle and like obviously the next person's going to be shuri then like it was a mistake because i think she would have made a better black panther even just like you know obviously as you alluded to physically but even just like talent wise like you yeah. know emotional wise everything else like i just think that lupita nyong'o would have been better uh better at it oh uh one i'm sorry before we go i have to say like the costume design uh, like, of course, like the production design and such of Wakanda, at least, is still like, you know, they're pulling from the Pan-African futurist thing and it looks good. Um, the one exception is the superhero costumes. They look like ass. They all look like yeah. terrible. Like they, the, the new Ironheart the, does not look Iron, good. Ironheart looks so embarrassingly like it looks like a, me trying to draw Iron Man if I was six <laughs> years old. And, and then you got like the the weird thing that like they put um the, ball the weird exosuits. Oh, yeah. yeah. Those look awful. Those look those... awful. By, and by the way, um. <laughs> I said the bald lady, which reminded me, um, A, there's one funny line in the movie where like Winston Duke says, you bald headed dimwit. That made me <laughs> chuckle. I'll admit that. That made me chuckle. Beyond that, like the, uh, oh yeah, well, there's well, like, like there's queer headed. baiting. There's queer baiting. Did you mention, did you catch the queer baiting? Well, so no, I mean, they, 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 they imply that, um, you know, um, Michaela Cole's character, uh, Ineka, uh, was in a relationship with one of the other Dora Milaje, right? um is that what you're referring to or something else yeah at the very very like there's like a very vague like hints that they might have a closer relationship than just like they both are members of this warrior group but then at the very very end of the movie she refers to her as my love and kisses her forehead and i'm like staring at this i'm like come on disney like this is the most you're gonna give people jesus christ well so on. so one other thing i did i forgot to mention was that just like i thought I mean, I, one of the things I was really excited for about this movie was to see whatever they were going to have Michaela Cole do. She's very talented. If anyone has seen I May Destroy You, uh, you know, it's a it's 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 a very, very good show. She's an incredibly talented actress and writer and all that. And I'm like, I trust her judgment. Like if she's going to be in a movie like this, I'm sure she's going to have a cool role and like very underutilized. And like they really didn't like really take I mean, it's in there, but they don't really like do enough for what for, for the importance they tried to put on it. They didn't really spend enough time setting up like what the significance of these midnight angels were. And, uh, and I, ah, I the just, midnight angels, they got the exoskeletons. Hey. <laughs> yeah. And it, it just, it, it, it just, it, it seemed like they wanted it to like be like, Oh shit, it's the midnight. And I was just like, I, you guys I don't think like, they even exist. I don't think they even exist in the comics. Uh, okay. I don't know. I, I didn't re I, I assume they did, but like they really yada yada even getting to what the significance was that, that was in the first place. It just seemed like another thing that was like, look, there's other sh stuff in this movie you could have done, done without and set up this other stuff better. And they, and they just didn't do it. And I, I just want to shout out that as one other thing where it just felt like a missed opportunity because I think everyone likes to deny Guri as a Koye and like, 
Michaela Cole is awesome. And it's like, they just, it's why bother getting Michaela Cole in your movie if you're just not going to really give her anything. So that was disappointing to me. Take uh, it back. They are in the comics. Oh, okay. Whatever. Um, uh, uh, before we wrap up, uh, Daniel, is there anything else about the movie we didn't talk about that you wanted to touch on before we uh, wrap this whole thing up? Yeah, credit where it's due. I like the Rihanna song. Okay. <laughs> I like the Rihanna song. Yeah, it's fine. I, I was actually, I was at work and I listened to somebody, somebody was playing it as they came through the gate and I'm like, oh yeah, all right. That's a fine song. People are listening to it. I actually did like the Spanish song. I don't know who did it. I thought it was Caliuchas, but uh, I guess it's not. Uh, when they first get to... Uh, Atlantis, sorry. Um, like, I like that song. Most of the music, I think, is still fine. There's one song where it was like, I was listening to it, like, this sounds like an Earl Sweatshirt beat. But besides that, um, <laughs> decent music. Ending on a high note, ending on a positive note for Daniel. Uh, Mo, anything else you want to talk about? It was touching. The tributes that they did, I, I think they did, like, you know, two, like, solid Chadwick Boseman tributes. And those individually, like, and isolated was really really touching and it's something that like you know i think a lot of people can definitely like relate to in that sense but you know it's like all right what's this superhero movie doing in my chadwick boseman tribute you know like (laughs) like it's it just feels sort of like that and that's unfortunate as somebody who like liked the first movie and like you know like and connected with uh with uh family members here and no longer because of uh part with the first movie you know i just wish that the second movie was better yeah i i guess i'll just, I'll just say i think talking to you guys has made me uh probably uh like it a bit less but i <laughs> i you know i i, I, I want to i'm not really too well. interested in like marvel pro- projects honestly like that was the last one that i was just like okay yeah yeah, yeah i'm really excited and then i was like ah I think that honestly, like, you know, if I'm being honest, like the I the uh, Thunderbolts movie, because it's like super soldiers and such, and like it looks like it's going to have more grounded sort of action set pieces. I will check that out because like I'm an action guy and like I find that the more grounded Marvel movies with the action, like I do get something out of them. So like I'm willing to give that a shot. And I think there's like maybe a TV show in there somewhere um, that I'm vaguely interested in. But like, yeah. I'm still going to keep watching it at a professional obligation. Though I think I, 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 I can't, I can't, blame you can't anyone. jump off the ship. You're trapped. Right. But I can't blame anyone. That's a little, I certainly, and I've, and I've on the whole, I think I've liked more than I've disliked the TV shows, even if they, some of them have worked less for me than others, but like, I, I can't blame anyone. That's a little, just like not thrilled with like the direction of phase four or lack thereof of this phase of the movies. And like, where they're going and how it's hard to really get a clear vision and i mean part of what made i don't the want first a vision question. that's the worst part i don't want oh. a vision i just want you to just do shit that's interesting i don't so care probably if it ra- you probably right ra- it sounds like you probably rather marvel just do the dc route but make better movies you know? yeah um, yeah just then, i don't i don't care if they connect i don't care just make well, something that's i mean cool. that's part of what made the first black panther so good was it didn't have those pressures you know not that yeah you i mean thought it was all that good but like, i didn't think you, it was you, that you, good you, but you like yeah I mean. that's the kind of thing that i would think that you should I think yeah, that's yeah. the kind of thing that they should be aiming for to create self-contained works that speak to this. I think honestly, there's one exception to like how I felt about this current run of Marvel shit. Um, She-Hulk. I have loved She-Hulk. I went and I rewatched an episode of She-Hulk after it all came out. Still good. I, I really do like She-Hulk because it's a movie that it's a show that vociferously argues for like it to be its own thing. It, argues mm-hmm. explicitly like this should be a sitcom about a lawyer trying to make her way through the world and it just so happens she has superpowers and of course there are a couple marvel tie-ins but like 
they use them. It in doesn't a very, bog it down. Yeah. Yeah. And they use them in a way that like uh, works within the confines of this show, regardless of how silly it may or may not be outside of this show. So uh, the Marvel fans all kind of hate it, which makes me very happy because it tells you that like the show is doing something right. If it pisses off the people who will just fucking eat any regurgitated slop that they put in their trowel these fucking pigs oh my god <laughs> i just want to go out on that, end note. On that note <laughs> yeah I, I, I mean most places to be. I, I i just want to go out with daniel spitting fire like that we don't even need to do recommendations today oh no no, no i gotta do oh. no, i'm so sorry i'm gonna have to do a recommend i have two recommendations one ega from the director of rrr it is a movie about a man who loves a girl another man who loves a girl finds out that she likes a poorer guy kills the poorer guy that poor guy comes to life as a fly and the fly sets out to get revenge on the man who killed him fantastic movie it plays every single emotion regardless of how ludicrous it might seem with complete earnesty it's funny it's moving it has some great action set pieces i love that movie and secondly i have to go to bat for this movie because uh the rewind let me down halloween ends is the best Halloween movie. It sucks. It It is the best Halloween movie. It is a movie that completely upends the expectation of this genre, knowingly does so in order to pursue a very fascinating uh, look at like the mythos of a horror slasher. It is remarkable filming. I really did. At first I was like, this is stupid. I don't like this. And then 20 minutes in, I was like, let me try to get into the rhythm of this thing. And I was I was mesmerized. I really did love that movie. Weirdly enough, all of our film friends love that movie. Yeah, except Josh for Brown, Josh Brown, J.D. Hunt, Gage Eggleston, even Elijah had a certain respect for it. So I had, a respect, I had a respect for what it tried to do. I just don't know if it did it well, but I liked it better than the second one. I think I thought Halloween. Uh, what was it? What was it? it was Halloween, Halloween Kills. I, I thought Halloween Kills sucked. Um, well, I, it's like, one of those things where like it's funny because like Halloween Kills is pretty much just a traditional slasher where it's just going around killing people here and there but then people said that they didn't like that and so halloween ends comes and it's a complete upending of everything you would expect it it completely subverts the expectations of horror audiences going into the final movie in a franchise horror movie uh where like you know he's not the inhuman monster he's just a man but what makes him evil uh evil is something that exists outside of him evil is something that is created by this collection of human beings and like it's always this ever-present force no matter how hard you try to fight it and the uh the point of these movies is to continue that fight regardless of the prospect of finally vanquishing this foe it's i and you know they get into the community of the place and it is an utterly fascinating movie and to be fair it was a divisive one there are some people who really hated it and there are some people who really loved it and i implore people who are still listening after i called them all pigs for liking this movie i implore you to actually go out give it a try try to get on its wavelength this is a horror movie that includes a freaking reference to Fallen Angels, the Wong Kar Wai movie. They're oh, going man. gonzo and I highly, highly recommend it as a worthwhile experience. Even if we let you down, I'm so happy you listened to the podcast. Uh, Mo, is there <laughs> anything you want to recommend? Uh, maybe the new Knives Out. Oh, you saw it? I haven't seen it yet, but like uh, I want to. But yeah, I <laughs> you didn't it. even see it. You probably I, know it's shit. Uh, I, yeah, it could be, but like you know, I'm just uh, that's something I'm excited to watch. I haven't really seen anything very interesting you, 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 in the past. You didn't like the first one, weeks. Daniel? I love no, no, the no, first. Just, one. I'm saying, I'm saying that like for oh, all he knows, shit, he hasn't seen know. the second oh, one. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm seeing it actually on Friday with 
Matt Pfizer because we actually saw the first one in theaters together. So, oh, oh cool. yeah. So, I, it's unfortunately it's not playing. I'm in Pensacola as of this recording, and it's not at the AMC's here. It's at my uh, AMC back in West Palm through next Tuesday night, and I have to be in Lakeland for work at noon on Tuesday, and I probably get it. So I'm gonna like basically have a. I, I have to win. I have to hope I get back to West Palm. Uh, on Tuesday night and time to make the 715 showing. I want to see it in theaters. I don't really want to wait for Netflix. So we'll see. But like, uh, hopefully everyone uh, supports this theatrical run it's getting, though. This isn't going to, this is gonna, this probably not going to air until that's over. So hoping people are going to see it in the theater. So they'll do that again for the next one. Uh, I don't really have a ton to recommend. I saw She Said with my mom today as a, uh, as someone that really loves Spotlight. I was a little worried when I saw the trailer for it because it seemed like it was just like, kind of kind of ripping off the kind of movie that was but like i think they just cut a bad trailer which i think it's a little better than you would think if you just watched that trailer which like a bunch of corny journalism catchphrases and snippets uh it's better than that and i think it's like if nothing else i think it's a it's a pretty good testament to like you know why people should be investing in journalism during this time based on the way they portray how those stories about harvey weinstein were broken so i'd encourage people to support that though again it did very bad at the box office so that might already be out of theaters by the time people listen to this but you know uh <laughs> go watch it whenever you can um uh, uh mo anything you want to plug personally social media wise anything else you want to direct anyone to um gonna plug uh, abby's corner again um cool. you know yeah. uh please be sure to donate we just uh joined a symposium which uh you know directs uh research money to very specific uh projects and so we're really excited about that we have a newsletter out uh yeah please in case in, like in, us. Case, in, in, in case anyone didn't listen to the podcast that we did on hustle uh to the extent you're comfortable doing it do you want to give a little more background on what that is yeah so abby's corner is the charity that my family set up after uh my sister passed of dipg you know, we're doing pretty well right now. We've raised over $20,000 for DIPG research, and we are now joining organizations that allow us a vote into where we direct that research funding to. So we're pretty excited about that stuff. We've got Facebook, we've got Instagram, and we've got the website itself, abbyscorner.org. So, That's awesome. Uh, yeah. I, I, I can't remember if I, I know when we did the hustle podcast, I actually, I actually did donate, but I think I meant to share it in the show notes too. And I don't remember if I did. So I'll try and remember to do that this time. I, uh, I think I'm pretty sure you did. And I really appreciate okay, cool. that. Thanks. All right. Cool. Uh, Daniel, anything you want to plug letterbox, Twitter, anything like that? Uh, I was like in Abby's corner and okay. my letterbox is, uh, I forgot what my letterbox is. Felonious funk. Felonious there you funk. go. That's it. Yep. Uh, and as usual, I'm Josh Jernavoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y on both Twitter and Letterboxd. Podcast Twitter is at Pod. Podcast email is Pod at gmail.com. Uh, coming up next on the podcast, I don't really know because, again, we're getting a whole rush of movies now and I've been very busy, but I'm sure we'll be recording on The Fablemans with our friend Josh Brown, who is as excited for that movie. I think he already saw it as of this recording and liked it. So he's obviously excited to talk about that. I'll probably have something on banshees of inishirin and or the menu and i'll also have something on um she said i just don't know the order in which they're coming but we'll be covering everything we have coming our way so uh thanks to daniel and mo for joining me thanks to everyone for listening and we'll see you next time